Would you please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11? We are, as the kids alluded to, doing a sermon series that we're calling Sunday School Stories, where we're revisiting some of these stories that often get taught to kids, often get taught in Sunday school, um, and then in some cases really never get mentioned again. And we're doing this uh, because sometimes when we're taught these stories to, uh, as children, or, or when, when they're taught to children, we're only taught versions of these stories, um, versions of these stories that are appropriate for, for children. Last week I gave an example of how a three-year-old might ask her mother, um, Mommy, where do babies come from? And the mother might say something like, you know, um, babies grow in mommy's tummies just the way apples grow on apple trees. And that's so true. And it's so wonderful, and it's so delightful. But when that little girl is in her first year of medical school, she's going to need a deeper explanation, right? She's going to need a more detailed, more accurate explanation. Um, So that's what we're trying to do in these Sunday school stories. Uh, uh, we're, we're, We're going back to them, and we're looking for a more advanced, maybe is one way to look at it, more advanced understanding of what's going on. Now, um... Before I read the text, I want to address, address one thing that I think is really important and is closely related to this series. Uh, Pastor Sam and I do a weekly podcast called the Bell Tower Podcast. Maybe you've heard of it. It's kind of a big deal. And uh, it's not a big deal. But in our, in our little podcast, um, we answer questions from listeners, and last week we got such a great question, and the question was this. The person wrote to us, he or she said, I have a question about the Sunday school stories, uh, sermon series, and about biblical interpretation in general. Did these stories actually happen in real time? And what difference does it make if they did or they didn't? And that is such a good question. And that is such an important question. And on the podcast last week, uh, we began to answer that question. And we're going to keep talking about that question for at least one, maybe a few more weeks here. So if you're interested, if that question piques your interest, here's your pitch for the Bell Tower podcast. Uh, listen in. These are, these are really important questions, maybe especially as we're going back and looking at some of these stories. So let's read. Uh, how was that for a teaser, right? I'm not going to tell you the answer. You've got to listen to my podcast. <laughs> oh, boy. Teasing it was Sam's idea, okay? I'll just, he's not here, so he can't defend himself. Genesis chapter 11. Listen to God's word. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward... They found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. When they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, 
If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, which means confused. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. This is the word of the Lord. What a crazy story. (laughs) I have to admit, um, I had not looked at this story for a long time. And so I think my current understanding of this story was my Sunday school version of it. Um, what on earth are we supposed to do with this story about the Tower of Babel? We're going to learn a new word today, and that word is etiology. E-T-I-O-L-O-G-Y. Etiology. There might be some medical people here who have heard the term etiology. Um, In medicine... Etiology is the branch of medicine which studies the causes and the origins of diseases, where diseases come from. So if somebody comes, um, um, has heart disease, for example, an etiologist might point out that a lifetime of smoking cigarettes was probably a bad choice. And that smoking those cigarettes might have been the cause, might have been the origin for that disease. Etiology is all about the cause of something. It's all about the origin of of something. But the term etiology is also used outside of medicine. Etiology is also used to refer to stories or myths. So a lot of different cultures have etiological stories that offer explanations for why things are the way they are. There are a lot of Native American stories that are etiologies, um, like stories about how, how certain rock formations came into being because giant animals were leaping off of them and landing on the moon. That's one Native American etiology. Giant animals leaped off these planes, scratched them down, and they became huge rocks and landed on the moon. And that's how those rocks appeared. Okay, Or... Here's another example. If a child were to ask you, why do snakes crawl on their bellies? You could say, well, there's an etiological explanation for that. In fact, we read it last week, uh, right here, uh, just before the sermon, Genesis chapter 3. You could say, well, the serpent tempted Eve with the fruit, and, and because of that, the serpent was cursed to spend all of its life crawling on its belly. That's an etiological explanation for why snakes don't have legs. So you can use uh, 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 an ancient story or an ancient myth to explain why things are the way they are. The Tower of Babel is an etiological story. The purpose of this story is to answer the question, Mom, Dad, Grandpa, Grandma, why are there so many different languages in the world? And Grandma says, well, sweetheart, have you heard the story of the Tower of Babel? Now, 
here's what's really beautiful about the story of the Tower of Babel and about uh, stories in the Bible in particular. The etiological stories in the Bible aren't just silly myths for the sake of making silly myths. They're not just explanations for the sake of explanations. There are a lot of non-biblical etiological stories that are just silliness. The biblical stories, and this, this is what makes them God-breathed, okay? This is what makes them infallible. This is what makes them worthy of building our lives around them. The biblical etiological stories also teach us priceless truths about God and about God's world and about us. They're not just silly stories. They are stories that come from the heart of God. And they are stories for those who want to live their lives uh, in the current of God's grace. So a kid asks, why do people speak different languages? Grandma could answer that question by saying, well, sweetheart, there have been small changes in language patterns over millions of years and over great distances, and so today they have created thousands of different languages and dialects all over the world. And Grandma would be right to give that explanation. She would be right. But also, Grandma could say, and you know what, sweetheart? There's an important lesson here when it comes to people and when it comes to languages. Have you ever heard God's story to us in the, the, the Tower of Babel? Have you ever heard that? Both of those explanations are important. The scientific explanation is important because it will tell you how, and the etiological explanation, the biblical explanation, is important because it will tell you why. So what do you think this ideological story is trying to tell us? Science tells us that languages developed over, with small changes over millions of years, spanning great distances, and that's true, but also, what does this text have to tell us about the meaning and the purpose that is behind that reality? That's what this story is about. So to figure that out, we're going to ask two questions of this story, uh, the Tower of Babel. We're going to ask two questions of it. The first question is, for whom? And the second one is, for how long? So, who is the Tower of Babel for? And how long was the Tower of Babel expected to last? So, first of all, who is the Tower for? Whose idea was this, to build this tower? Why did people think that this was a good idea? Take a look at verse 4 if your Bibles are still open. Uh, it says, these people come, came and they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So these, these people are building the tower for two reasons. Pride and fear. Pride 
and fear. Pride, so that we can make a name for ourselves, right? So people will figure out that we're super important. And then fear, otherwise we might be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, if you're at all familiar with Scripture, then maybe you know that God has very strong feelings about both of those things. Pride and fear. They're, they're on a list for him. And he does not like them. Okay? Uh, pride. God does not like pride. Um, pride is a self-centered orientation. Pride is the self-turned inward. In the book of Genesis, just a few chapters before this, uh, Genesis 6, 5, God sent a flood to cover the whole earth and essentially wiping the whole slate clean. Why did, he, why did he do that? Because people were turning in on themselves. Pride was taking over everything. And now, in Genesis chapter 11, it's happening again, just a few chapters later. The people want to make a name for themselves. That pride is, is, is re-emerging. That self-centeredness is re-emerging. There's something about human beings that it is just the most natural thing in the universe that we want to make everything about ourselves. That impulse to make everything about ourselves comes so naturally to us. That's pride. And then there's fear. And they say, let's build this tower, otherwise we will be scattered over the whole face, uh, over the face of the whole earth. Way back uh, in the beginning of the story of Genesis, even before the fall, even before Adam and Eve ate the fruit, even while the snake was still walking around on four legs or whatever was going on there, God's first command to his people was to fill the earth. Fill the earth and subdue it. Fill the earth. But the people being prideful and being afraid, did not want to fill the earth. They didn't want to do that. They wanted to stay in what was familiar, and they wanted to stay in what was comfortable, and they wanted to stay in what was predictable, and they wanted to put their roots down. They wanted to stay with their people in their culture, because their culture was right, who shared their experiences, who affirmed their biases, who shared their politics, and they wanted to never go anywhere else or consider any other perspective. And this tower was all about insulating oneself from the outside world. It was fear. It was fear. Calvin, can you put that, the next image up here? There we go. This is a, a picture of a ziggurat. A ziggurat, this is, the, this is the style of building that the original audience would have pictured in their minds when they pictured the Tower of Babel. You can probably picture something in the middle of that going up quite a ways. Who knows how far? Um, but this is, this is what the original audience imagined in their minds when they thought about the Tower of Babel. Now, you'll notice a ziggurat is not designed for hospitality, is it? This is a military fortress. There's, at best, two ways to get into this building. And it's constructed in such a way that um, it's meant to keep things and to hoard things. 
and to attack people who are coming for your things. And if you tried to get into this place and you were not invited to get into this place, you left yourself very, very vulnerable to attack. So a ziggurat is a defensive structure that is meant to keep and to hoard and to attack, whereas God's vision for creation is that people would spread and that people would fill and that people would bless. This structure is exactly the opposite of what God was hoping for. Thanks, Calvin. You can take that down. So the first question we're asking of the text is, who is the tower for? And the answer is, for prideful, fearful people. And then the second question we're asking of the text is, how long is this tower expected to last? Which seems like a really weird question to ask, but this question is kind of forced upon us because we're given these really strange details in, uh, in verse 3. There's, this story has almost no detail in it except for this one little section which gives us great detail. And it says that, The builders used bricks instead of stones and tar instead of mortar. Now, if you and I wanted to build something that would last forever, we would use stones and mortar. It's very labor-intensive. It would take an awful long time, but it lasts forever. Um, the, The temple in Jerusalem, for example, stones and mortar. It's made for permanence, okay? But if you wanted to build something quickly and easily, you wouldn't use stones and mortar. You would use bricks and tar because you could build it in a fraction of the time. However, the tower would also start falling apart not long after you uh, finished its construction. The Tower of Babel was not built to last forever. It was a quick job to make a point to address an immediate felt need, which stands in perfect contrast to how God views the world. It stands in perfect contrast to how God views his kingdom. When it comes to God's kingdom, it's never a flash in the pan, is it? When it comes to God's kingdom, it's always the long game. In fact, and here's, here's the contrast, okay? While the Tower of Babel would have begun disintegrating almost immediately, by contrast, God in Scripture would find opportunities to remind us of the story of the Tower of Babel over and over and over again for generations. It's incredible. You do a little research on the Tower of Babel, you have no idea how many times that story gets echoed throughout Scripture. Over and over and over again, God is reminding us again, and he's telling us again this story from Genesis 11 about the Tower of Babel. In fact, the very next story, Genesis 12, is the story of the calling and sending of Abraham. It is the anti-Babel story. The story of the calling of Abraham is the story of the Tower of Babel turned completely on its head. Um, 
So rather than a fearful, prideful people who are circling the wagons for self-protection and self-interest, you have Abraham, who is uh, not fearful and prideful, but is humble and courageous. And instead of circling the wagons and staying in one place, he's sent out to a, a location to be determined. Like he's not even told. That's the story that comes immediately after the story of the Tower of Babel. No coincidence. And then, I, I don't have time to go through them all, but there are so many times in the Old Testament where God's people are pushed to new places, pushed to do new things, to bless new people, to fill the earth in, in new ways. Sometimes even when they're in exile, sometimes God very particularly says, the reason I am sending you to exile is because I need you to go to this other place and be fruitful there. Over and over again in the Old Testament, in the Gospels, it's in the story of the transfiguration. You got Peter, James, and John, and they, they follow Jesus up on top of this mountain, and, and Jesus is transfigured before them. Jesus shows up in all of this glory for them. Um, and Peter says, whoa, this is amazing. Lord, it is good for us to be here. Let's, 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 give, let's build ourselves a little something, and let's stay put. And Jesus says, no, no, no. The kingdom is down mountain from here, Peter. The kingdom is down mountain from here. It's the Tower of Babel. On Pentecost, Peter stands up in the city of Jerusalem to preach about the risen Christ, and he's preaching in Aramaic because that's the language that he spoke. And as he preaches in Aramaic, it occurs to him and the other people around him that as he speaks in Aramaic, something is happening to the words as they leave his mouth and they hit the ears of other people who came from all over the earth uh, to celebrate the Passover. And each of these people were hearing Peter's preaching in their own language. Their own language. It was the Tower of Babel, again, on its head. It was anti-Babel. In Genesis 11, we get the story of the Tower of Babel. And throughout the rest of redemptive history, we get anti-Babel. Of course, the climax of this story is the person of Jesus who as he walks further and further out and blesses his apostles who walk even further and further out to the ends of the world, not just geographically, but also socially, to the borders of the, of the social norms, to those who are on the outskirts of inclusion, further out, further out, blessing, never afraid, never prideful, blessing. So, how long does the tower last? Well, Babel starts to fall apart pretty much as soon as it's erected, a generation or two. But anti-Babel goes on forever because God keeps telling the anti-Babel story over and over and over again throughout redemptive history. So, here's the question. Mom, Dad, Grandpa, Grandma, why are there so many different languages in the world? Well, sweetheart, there have been, over millions of years, small changes in language patterns across a diversity of places and great distances, and today that has created thousands of different languages and dialects all over the world. But also, sweetheart, 
Do you know the story of the Tower of Babel? Because that's not, that doesn't just tell us how. Just as, or perhaps more importantly, it tells us why. Because in this story of the Tower of Babel, God tells us that when it comes to those languages, and when it comes to those people, we should never be prideful. And we should never be afraid. And he tells us that the blessing that God is bringing to his people is for everyone, no matter what. No matter how far away, no matter what language they speak, no matter how they look at, no matter how they look at the world. And guess what, sweetheart? We get to be the ones who bring that message. Because you know what happens as soon as these people try to build Babel? God introduced us to this guy called Abraham. You got to hear about Abraham. We are the humble, courageous messengers of grace to all God's people. Isn't that incredible? Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the beautiful and creative ways that you teach us. We thank you that even though left to our own devices, we would construct Babel, you do what you need to do to make sure that this world is anti-Babel. God, keep us from being prideful. Keep us from being afraid. And always send us out as instruments of grace in your world. To the ends of the world, to the edges of our society. We ask this with confidence in your love and grace. Amen.